Welcome back to the Doctor Who Flashcast. I'm Jason Snell. We're talking about Empress of Mars, written by Mark Gatiss, joining me to talk about it. Again, live from Scotland, it's James Thompson. Hello. Hello. An, an unprecedented third appearance for me in, in this series. I think because nobody else wanted to do a Mark Gatiss episode. Well, but- so, yes, that is that is actually the back story here, is that uh, uh, Sleep No More, which got me and uh, and Liz last time. We were the ones who got that one. Uh, Sleep No More uh, really kind of put everyone off on wanting to talk about this Mark Gatiss episode. Also, there's this feeling like we're coming out of a three-parter and then there's going to build to the end of the season. And then in the middle is this standalone Ice Warriors story. And for those who don't know, Mark Gatiss, kind of a controversial figure. He's been writing for the show since the very first series when he wrote The Unquiet Dead. He's been in it. He obviously is a good friend of Stephen Moffat's, and they work on Sherlock together. And his episodes are not generally loved, although I realized I like The Unquiet Dead, and I like The Crimson Horror. Um, I, I didn't particularly like Sleep No More. Um, and, and some of his other episodes have not really done it for me, but, uh, but I just, I'm going to give it away here a little bit. I, I'm not going to get into degrees, but I will say better than expected from me. I, I was, I was relieved as I was watching it that I did not, that it did not feel like a, uh, like a, a clunker like Sleep No More did. How did you feel? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I think, uh, it, Given that the the previous two haven't been great, the well, I find I find this one was was reasonable. It was about the same level, I think, as the last one, um, and it. But it, yes, it was it was indeed better than I expected. I think Mark Gatiss is sometimes a better actor than he is a writer, mm. um, and uh, I think. I think we were both put off somewhat by the the most recent Sherlock Holmes stuff. Certainly, right. I try not to carry that in, but definitely, I, 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 I'm kind of off of Sherlock entirely. But you know, I think um, without without walking through the plot, although we should walk through um, a little bit of that in a bit, I, I did feel as I was watching, and I do this occasionally, not all the time though. I did feel like he was trying to tell a story here that was much more not just because it has the ice warriors in it but much more in the vein of the classic series in terms of the way the plot is structured it felt like a classic series episode in part because there are several points where the doctor and the companion seem to be kind of kind of beside the point at several points and the as the action goes on and that that reminded me of some old series episodes too i don't know did you get that feel yeah, no, I mean, uh, very much. And and it was, you know, they had not exactly extensive sets because they had basically, they were they, they were on Mars, but um, to save money will be underground. Yes, for, cave, cave A and, and sort of cave B. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and it, yes, it did feel like a, an old uh, episode, and it was indeed full of references to old yeah. episodes as well. The ba- I think the um, the the bad guy was also uh, gave me that old series feel, which is there's often a group of soldiers or spacemen or whatever it is, and there's often one who is 
particularly bad and has his own agenda and he's the baddie for the episode and i i remember that from many classic doctor who episodes in fact i was just watching kinda the other day um and and then when i watched this i was thinking oh yeah sure (laughs) there's always one right there's always one really bad guy who sets the plot in motion and and uh, this episode definitely has that character um and uh i don't know i i uh the Victorian stuff, the red coats. I thought that was. I was concerned about how they were going to explore that or explain that storyline, and I kind of enjoyed that it was just sort of, oh yeah, we found the spaceship, <laughs> yeah, which we never saw. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. We never see the but spaceship. Budgetary reasons, because I kept expecting to to find this sh- to go back to the ship but i did think yes with with the 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 baddie um uh soldier guy he did have a very sort of 70s doctor who mustache as well he did he did and and i like i i don't particularly enjoy that character um because i'm not sure what his behavior is is logical at all but it did it felt authentic doctor who if that makes any sense like really I, I can see him chafing against the guy he knows is a he knows is a a coward and fe- feeling that he should be in charge. I get that, but then at the end, he he very much is sort of like, "Smell you later, everybody. I'm going to take the spaceship back to Earth, and you all are going to just be stuck here on Mars." And I I didn't quite follow that. That I mean, then he's just a complete mustache twirling baddie because i i expected him to lead his men you know back to the spaceship to glory and instead he for no good reason i think basically just sacrifices them and leaves them to die so again i i I enjoyed it as boy he's really bad but i'm not sure it works like from a modern logic sensibility (laughs) (laughs) but you know but doctor who had bad guys like that all the time in the old days yeah. So, I mean, I think we'd agree that this was Mark Gatiss wanting, because this is possibly his last episode that he's writing for Doctor Who. Yeah, I he, think he said, said that effectively. He hasn't been asked by the new uh, producers to contribute. So that su- suggests that they're moving on to new writers that they want to work with. And to be fair, he, like Stephen Moffat, has had a chance to write episodes throughout the run up to now, like from the first series to here in this last series of Stephen Moffat. So, yeah, this, made, so this is his and apparently this is he begged Stephen Moffat to do a nice Warriors on Mars story. And finally, Moffat relented and said, all right, you got it. Here it is. You can do it. And uh, and and so we get this kind of strange uh uh, English soldiers on, under the surface of Mars uh, with their sort of one-eyed um, ice warrior who they picked up in South Africa on the Velt and uh, flew his spaceship back. And he's uh, he he's their servant. I had little uh, echoes of uh, Daleks serving tea, a monster yes. as your servant serving tea or collecting plates. Uh, it it did occur to me that the later in the episode that the reason that he has lost an eye is so that we can tell him apart from all the ice warriors oh yeah that's probably that's probably the reason but they do put a line in about um about his uh his uh the the eye gouged out like the vikings the movie and and then you see him and you're like oh sorry um but uh, the ice warriors now i was looking it up before we started because i've seen I think I've seen them in the John Pertwee stories, but I have no memory of it at all. And I, a couple of years ago, I watched Seeds of Death, where where they're on the moon. 
And apparently, I looked it up, they were baddies in the first two appearances. And then in the Pertwee era, they were sort of turned into more complex kind of Klingons of Doctor hmm. Who, where they're they're fierce warriors, but they can also be used as troops for, you know, for the the... the galactic federation or as policemen sort of things and um and their timeline is a little mixed up where the idea is that they were thriving on mars but then mars dried up and but then they're kind of awakened again in the uh in the present and future and so it's you know it's it's all messed up but i think that there was a nod in this story to that too that this might might end up being one of the key moments uh that leads to the ice warriors re-emerging and in fact we see it when Alpha Centauri calls, and it's yes. that, and that's a I didn't even remember, but then I, I I looked it up and I realized that is a direct reference to Curse of Peladon, I think. Yes, and I, I I did a quick look up just as we came on, and it's the the same person playing Alpha Centauri, um, Yasan Churchman. Yeah, and she's in who, her she's in her nineties. So if they did get a new recording of her, good good for them to go find her wherever yeah. she is living and record that. And it's a close-up. The actual monster is a very 70s Doctor Who kind of creature with a one eye and a bunch of legs and all. But it was a, it was just a sort of an eye close-up on the monitor. Yeah. But yes, I, I thought, hmm, I think that's Curse of Peladon. Uh, and my memory, like you, was equally hazy because yeah. uh, we were not alive when those things were first on. And yeah, I think I was alive, but uh, you know, not just. <laughs> I saw I saw it in um, in the eighties when they ran the whole Pertwee era. But um, I think I've only seen most of those stories one time, and so I have. A, and if I may have fallen asleep, it's possible, and then I may have not seen <laughs> all of it at all. But I, I so my knowledge there is pretty. Is pretty weak, but yes, there are many references to classic Doctor Who in here, and I think that's all intentional. This is meant to be kind of, in some ways, an homage to classic Doctor Who in terms of the feel and the story. And I, I think I think it works as that. Um, I'm trying to think what what else we should talk about. Oh, I want to talk about the opening because there we start at NASA basically, and they they've got like a mission control with a countdown. And the space nerd in me has to point out that this is exactly what rocket launches look like. They do the the reception of data from a probe that is in, in orbit around a planet and sending back photos does not look like this. This is so that it's like a pastiche of spacey things where it's like, you know, it's just like Apollo 13, except they're getting a picture from a space probe. I'm like, well, it does look pretty good as a mission control. It's just not the right mission control. I, I did think when NASA came on screen that you would be fact-checking yes. Um, oh, yes. all, all of that. Uh, the American um, accents weren't terrible, but normally it would just be a bunch of scientists in Pasadena, California, in a big room looking at their computers and, and uh, cheering when, they, uh, when the first picture comes back. That's what it would have looked like. Less dramatic that way. I, I wasn't entirely sure why we had to go to NASA, wh whether there weren't sort of uh, British uh, space scientists who could have been sitting looking at a probe, but... I yeah I I wondered about that because that's like in um in the Christmas invasion that's what we get right is there's the British mm. rocket group or whatever that has their Guinevere probe that they're sending to Mars and it runs into the runs into the the spaceship of the Sycorax and so we don't you know they but we there it's it is a a, a British production and here it's just now we're just going to say it's NASA they've 
they've got all the spaceships around Mars. But the the whole point of it is just to provide an initial mystery, which is why is God Save the Queen written underneath the ice cap at the North Pole of Mars? And, you know, and they move on from it very quickly. It's just that that's the thing that prompts the doctor who is doctor and Bill have and, and Nardole have come to witness the transmission of the images because they love a countdown, I guess, to to go to Mars in 1881, which is when they calculate the rocks must have been placed. It's a, it's an excuse to kick off the story and yeah. leave you with a mystery. It's fine. And uh Almost immediately, Bill starts making references to the Terminator and the Thing. Yep. Um, and then uh, the TARDIS has a, a very old uh, 70s Doctor Who sort of malfunction type thing and vanishes for the entire length of the story conveniently. Right. So this is this is so two, two issues here. The movie quote thing is funny. The Doctor, what has the Doctor not seen? Because we've seen the Doctor before sort of explain time travel with Back to the Future. But of course he's going to... I'm surprised he hasn't seen The Terminator since that is also a time travel movie. He should have uh, He should have seen that, but he hasn't seen it or The Thing. Um, and then but Bill- possibly, possibly has seen Star Wars. Possibly. Um, and, and she mentions the Vikings and, and, and he thinks she's talking, Bill's talking about um, the actual historical Vikings, but then turns out she's quoting yet another movie. Um, but this is all set up for a pretty good joke, which is when the doctor says that we'll be trapped here in an eternal winter, like, like, like Frozen. It's a movie. <laughs> and that made me laugh. I thought it was like, finally, the doctor is like, that's a movie I've seen. I've seen Frozen. Yes. He hasn't seen Terminator the nope. Thing or anything else. He's basically Mike Hurley. Yeah, that's um, right. Ooh. Oh, sorry. Deep, deep cut, but you're right. You're totally right. Sorry, Mike. The doctors, um, the doctor, the disappearance of the TARDIS is, I mean, I literally in my notes, it just says this is to solve a plot hole. Like you, you need to write Nardole out because I would bet you that his first draft of the script um, was before they decided to have Nardole in this season. So it's write Nardole out and get the TARDIS out of there because otherwise there's a very easy solution to this problem, which is to lead all of the red coats into the TARDIS and take them home. End of story. Right. And yeah. so very conveniently, the TARDIS is just gone the entire time. And the next line in my notes I've written, uh, Bill falls down a hole in the plot. <laughs> That's about right. That's about right. And she she falls down a hole and Nardole and, and the TARDIS go and fly through that hole. <laughs> um, but yes, so she falls down a hole, um, finds a, a lift shaft, and out of it comes a, a quite impressive uh, space suit uh, or... Mars suit. Mars suit, yeah. It's like a Victorian... That's one of the steampunk elements that I actually wish I had seen a little bit more of because I enjoyed the idea that there's this um, this steampunky, why are these people from the uh, 19th century on Mars... And the answer, yeah. again, the answer isn't isn't like, well, they actually invented a spaceship back then, um, but it's they, that they found one. But by the way, Queen Victoria, as portrayed in uh, Doctor Who in the uh, the werewolf episode, that actress, her portrait is the portrait of Queen Victoria that's present in. Yes, I thought that was a nice callback, too. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, there's they they have a mining laser that came off the ice warrior spaceship that they're using to mine, and what we find out later is that their 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 ice warrior friend Friday is using them to get, dig 
a tunnel to the uh the the resting place of the hibernating ice warriors but they think they're getting jewels and gold and things like that um and uh and he's serving them like like i said he's serving them tea and it seems weird uh, that that he's doing that. I, there's a nice touch where uh, Bill drops a plate, and you see that he actually. I'm old and tired, he says, and then he like immediately has these super reflexes to catch the plate. Like, I, a very Spider-Man uh, yeah. plate grab. Yeah, he's dangerous. The, he looks like a guy wearing a really big suit from a monster from the 70s, but trust us, he's dangerous. <laughs> um, but that's fine. That's fine. But they eventually, yes, they dig through into the tomb, which has the uh, the queen. Uh, well, as we discover shortly, uh, the actual queen on the top, covered in uh, gold, and uh, of course, there's, there's some of the soldiers who are looking for a quick profit and want some of the jewels and things that are around this tomb. And yeah, yeah. This is your this is your commentary commentary on British colonialism. Which I think yep. is I think is just fine saying, of course, now Mars belongs to us and we're going to plunder its riches and, and take we'll it home. Take all your jewels. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. The doctor says as they break, there's like a golden glow coming from the uh, from the tomb. And the doctor sees it and says, that's the tomb of an ice queen. I have a bad feeling about this. So that's your yeah. Star Wars reference. I, I did enjoy it. Um, and and yeah, so she she wakes up because uh, apparently prying some gems off of your your hibernation sarcophagus thingy will wake you up. They were power crystals, or that's how I, that's my head count. I'm sure, that. I'm sure that's right. I believe you. And uh, and she uh, she wakes up. The queen does and says to Friday, the the ice warrior who has led the humans here. My sentinel, she addresses him as I am resurrected, and he has the bad news that we've slept for five thousand years. It's been a while. This is a similar theme to what happened in Cold War, the last ice warrior story that Mark Gatiss also wrote for the new series, where there's this. We hate to break it to you, but you guys have been asleep. The idea that there's a basically like a diaspora of ice warriors when Mars dried up and that, that they are scattered all over frozen in hibernation and, uh, and shocked when they find out that they, you know, that they, it's been a long time since they were last awake. And she has an interesting weapon, which I don't remember if it's from any of the originals, which is the um, shooting them and they sort of crunch up into a little ball. Yeah, I liked that. Um, I thought that was really interesting. The, the, it is not only sort of like precludes, there's no blood or anything like that, but it's visually interesting. It's like, I, I was thinking it's like they, um, it wipes out all of the, um, all of the organic matter or the, you know, the, the person and leaves their clothes. So basically they end up as a little bundle of clothes and that's all that's left at the end. And they, you know, they're wearing their big, uh, their uniforms and all that. So it ends up being a bundle of clothes and all the ice warriors end up having apparently that, that weapon. I think she's, she's a new design though. I mean, that's, that's like a modern, that's where they'd managed to do the modern series sort of take off on the ice warriors design is that she looks a little bit different and i would say a little bit better because they they got to design her look um now instead of in the 70s or the 60s i guess or initially right because patrick troughton was the first to face the ice warriors so they go back a long way um but then uh the doctrine and the doctor and bill come in and try and sort of uh negotiate some peace and she instantly knows that bill is a female 
and uh, wants to know her opinion on this and whether people are telling the truth and stuff. Um, I was curious quite how she could... Because the, there was no indication that they had previously encountered humans. Right. But she's, I guess there's just a a, a queen knows or something like mm. that. But uh, I did like the line, we are both surrounded by noisy N- males. Noisy males, yes. <laughs> Very appropriately for a podcast with yeah. full of them. And she's, um, she's offended by the fact that... Uh, that Friday has been acting like a like a slave, even though it's all he's like, no, no, but I, but the big picture, it was all part of my plan. Yeah. But she's still like, no, it's not fitting for a great you know warrior to be subservient like that. Um, but I liked I liked getting Bill into the story a little bit there. I think that one of the knocks that um, some people have on Mark Gatiss is that he is he does often write stories where it's uh, like with Cold War being an example where it's a submarine full of men. Um, and so that, that there are often not a lot of women in his stories is a knock on him. And I'm not going to, I, I'm not sure I have an opinion about that. I don't think I've, I've looked at that that closely, but I, I, I was just seeing, um, Liz Miles comment on that. And she felt like she felt that way here is that once again, there's only the, you know, there's only the two women and all the, all the, uh, all the setting otherwise is all these men who are, who are fighting. But I did enjoy at least this interaction where, she says, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective. I was a little frustrated by the fact that very rapidly the conversation returns to the men um, mm. and that Bill, I would have liked Bill to have a little more participation there. There is a callback later where Bill steps up and says, I need to, you, you need to listen to me now. Um, but you could argue, like, like I said, the doctor and Bill both kind of take a step back in a bunch of places where... And this is that classic series feel I had, which is where the action sort of happens around them and they're observing this scene and then interacting sort of when they need to intercede with something they do. And then they kind of like watch it happen again. It, it, it just felt very familiar to me. The idea that it's not entirely a story about the doctor, like so many modern stories are. It's a story about what happens on Mars in this situation. And the doctor and Bill are kind of present to witness and occasionally participate but not like a lot large parts of this they're kind of in the background and bill is way in the background for a lot of this yeah yeah i think that was that would be my main criticism of the episode as well as we didn't get quite as much of bill or the bill and dr banter that has made some of the the previous episodes which weren't as good much better than the than their story just because we had all the character development right the inverse of of this one where it was really the plot was secondary and the character interaction was the most important part especially early in the season and this is not that yeah um that we did get the uh the thing in the in the cell which uh which was a nice kind of bill doctor moment uh where she explains we're sort of the police and he laughs and it's because the the the, the captain uh, laughs, or the sergeant, the captain, um, a woman in the police force, um, and she scolds him and says, "I'll make allowances for that Victorian attitude because you're Victorian." Um, which she's like, "All right, okay, fair fair enough." But it was it was at least a moment of it. It was not particularly amazing. But the thing that made me sad is that 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 followed a couple of lines from the doctor that I thought were either real clunkers or were there just because Mark Gatiss thinks that that's fun stuff to have in a Doctor Who episode. Because in short succession, the Doctor says, this isn't over and you'll regret this. And I thought, <laughs> that is very 
broad, you know, old style cliched kind of dialogue. And well, it's it, in here. In that in that same sequence, he says something like, you know, it's 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 too it's very quiet outside. And you know, at this point, somebody would say too quiet or something. Ah, uh, like yeah, that. yeah. Um, again, showing that he does watch movies and TV, but. How do you miss the Terminator? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's also a, I believe, um, I had the same thought as, as again, Liz, I saw her commenting on this. I had the same thought that she did, which is, there's a line somewhere in here, which is, why are you worried about them? There are only three of them that I took to be a Day of the Daleks reference, because famously that's that episode where a, where a, an entire castle is held under siege by three Daleks, because they only had three Daleks, so there were only ever three of them. Um, well, there was I, also, there was the, the rank has its privileges line, which was also a, a Day of oh, the that's, Daleks. that's right, where they're, where they're um, drinking the wine in Day of the Daleks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, lots of references, but there are only three of them that just tickled me because it's like, yeah, often in Doctor Who, there are only three of anything because that's all they they made. So, yeah, there are only three of them. Just call it out. Yeah. But I mean, we also had the, there was the soldier who was giving the backstory of how he was going to get married and do all these things. And I was thinking, uh-huh. no, you're, you're, you're dead. He survived um, longer than I thought. I thought he was going to die two times that he didn't die before he finally died. Yes. Um, but yeah, then we have the the whole um, all of the uh, the ice warriors waking up. Um, and, oh, we I think we we missed over the the, the part where ne- Neville Catchlove, um, uh, definite bad guy name, mm-hmm. uh, mustache uh, man. He, he takes over uh, and sticks the the colonel and and yes, Bill and the Doctor in into the cell. That's um, it. He's the captain, and they and they. Uh... And is that right? Or he the 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 uh, deserter guy was the colonel. Is the colonel, and 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 Neville Catchlove is the captain, and yeah, I think and so. he he has he reveals that the that the colonel has a scar around his neck because they ha- hanged him. They tried to hang him for desertion, but he in a uh, twist of fate he didn't die, and therefore is allowed to resume his life because that's how that works, I guess. Lucky. Um, and so, but he, he can't take it. So he, he finally takes over and, and makes everything go from bad to worse. And there's a, they fire on the ice warriors and there's a, there's a standoff and, uh, they, uh, they collapse the, the hole between their cave, cave A and cave B. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but then the ice warriors attack and, and then there's yet, yet again, there's some more violence while the doctor is trying to stop the two sides from killing each other. The doctor and Bill are both sort of like, you get, you've got to do this. And in the end, um, Bill provides a distraction, talks to the, uh, talks to the ice warrior queen while the doctor basically cranks up the winch on the laser to point it at the ceiling and say, we'll all, you know, I'll, I'll collapse this cave and, and all the ice and snow will pour in and we'll all be gone. Um, or we can solve this by talking. Uh- and Friday has their back because he actually sprung, uh, yeah, he, sprung he, them out of the jail. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. That was that was the moment that um, I wasn't sure they were going to do. We do see that, but it's like the Friday, the Ice Warrior knows that this is uh, something that should be stopped because he spent time with the humans and is not quite on the rampage like his queen is, and he gets them out of there. 
and uh, he says, "Doctor, we must work together," which I like, and they and they they put it together. Um, but Neville Catchlove, of course, ruins everything then by putting a knife to the throat of the of the Empress, and this is that moment where he does his full heel turn and says, "I'm just going to leave you all here and take the take the Queen with me as a hostage and go up to the surface and fly away." Because there's a line of dialogue midway through where somebody says, "Oh, um, the spaceship repairs are coming along more further than uh, people thought, and we're going to be able to leave." So apparently that he thinks it, it's not going to be a problem for him to get out of there all on his own, which again, I think is a bad plan, but he's a mustache twirling villain. What you're going to do. Who knows how to fly a spaceship apparently. Yeah. Or, or he'll have the, does the queen know, but it doesn't matter because it's really just set up to have the elevator open and the, uh, the, 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 the colonel who is, uh, who had fled in cowardice again, has found enough backbone to stop. And he shoots the, uh, he, he shoots the captain and uh and then asks to be killed by the ice warrior queen but to spare his men and um and his planet and his planet right and the doctor wants bill wants to intercede and the doctor tells her not to um because i think he's figuring that that uh that he knows how this is going to go, which he says, it's always been my problem thinking like a warrior. That's what he says afterward. But it does work out where she says, you will die in honor in battle, but not today. Um, but swear loyalty to me. And this is a po- moment that I found really weird, which is uh, the the British redcoat just goes down on his, or the English army guy goes down on his knees and swears uh, an oath of loyalty to a nice warrior queen. And I thought, well, I mean, they never got back to Earth, I guess, or otherwise people would know of their exploits. But it seems to happen awfully fast that they're like, sure, we'll we'll throw in with the uh, lizard people. Let's do that. And it's funny you mentioned Klingons earlier because there's, there's a reference to Way of the Warrior. And this is very much, you know, a sort of Klingon style. Well, you have you have true honor, so we shall spare you kind of moment. And that's the read that I've gotten on the on the Ice Warriors from this episode, certainly, and even reading some of the the other stuff about how they're used in the in like the Pertwee era when they decided they weren't going to just be all out bad bad guys. Um, that that this is how Mark Gatiss at least likes to think of them is they're grumpy and they can they can they can kill you and they you know if you get on their bad side they will kill you, but you know they they are also reasonable and honorable and that that's very a very klingon kind of feeling to me <laughs> which is not a bad i think that's not bad i think that i like i like it that you don't just say this entire alien race is evil right <laughs> and instead say yeah. they're complicated they can do they're bad they're bad ones and they can do bad stuff but they're they're you know not necessarily as the doctor says earlier, they're excellent engineers, right? Because they built the the, the air air uh, containing cave system that they're in throughout the episode. Um, what I mean at, at the end, then, so there there is this uh, there is this agreement that the 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 soldiers are going to be there with the ice warriors and and the doctor meanwhile has rigged up a communication device, which is where we get our callback to the uh, early the earlier um uh, john pertwee era story where alpha centauri calls and says welcome to the universe we'll send a ship to help you and then we see them in those uh, pertwee episodes as peacekeepers as part of this federation that includes earth and and alpha centauri and some other planets uh that are out there and this is uh this is sort of intended to kind of be the setup for that that this is how that happened is uh, it started right here which the doctor even says 
You know, we were, yeah. we're we may be witnessing the golden age of the Ice Warriors right now. Yes, and, and and we got a sort of. I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be a Fonzie moment where he sort of has to whack the side of the <laughs> communication device in order to make it work properly. Um, yeah, he was struggling with it there. But yeah, and then then they the the TARDIS comes back at exactly the right moment Convenient. of the episode ending. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, perfect timing. But uh, has an unexpected guest on board. Uh, yeah, in, because- in, a, in a middle scene that we get the one cutaway of Nardol goes to the to the. Um, he ends up back at the university and he goes to the vault and asks Missy for help. And she says, better if I show you. And he's like, mm-hmm. and then at the very end, the TARDIS shows up and Nardole says, look, let me explain. And Missy is, is there working the console, which, you know, she, he, she, she did what he asked. We, we have no explanation for why the TARDIS did what it did, but she says, well, you know, I did what I asked. And he said, you know, you shouldn't have done that. But the implication is that, you know, she, is trying but it's still scary that missy's got the tardis and and she's focused on if the doctor is all right which also seemed super weird that yeah the way she was phrasing it and you know are you sure you're all right like implies that in the many many sort of late night conversations over takeaway chinese food that they've had in the vault that perhaps he has said something to her i don't know i don't know or or is that a a hint that that uh, that something is wrong that we don't understand, or is it that, or is it just trying to get across in a creepy way that Missy's trying very hard to be concerned about the doctor, and that I I, I thought about that that they that maybe what they're trying to do is have this go against our expectations and have us really like we are judging that she's super dangerous and must never be let out, and and this could have gone very badly when you know, in her own way, she's just, she's actually just concerned if the doctor's okay, because that she had to come and save him. Um, I, it's, it's the way it's acted is so strange that I really don't know what to make of it at all. Other than that, maybe that's what the goal is, is to just put us um, off balance going into next week, wondering what the story with Missy. Yeah, I mean, I'd fully expected that when the TARDIS door opened, either it would be missing directly um, or Nardole would say, you know, well, I'm here. I'm here to save you, but um, I've got something to tell you. And, you know, Missy's out and she's, you know, bounding around the universe. But yeah, it was kind of, it was an, I mean, I like the, I like this sort of possibly reformed Missy, although it's probably going to go horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um and but yes, just the, the 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 phrasing in that last scene, it was like, mm, there's something up. Does do do time lords know when another time lord is uh, about to leave the the show or something? <laughs> I like the idea that uh, our we have this ongoing storyline that is more complex than we initially thought about what's in the in the vault, and that now it's sort of like, what is the deal with Missy? Like, what exactly is going on there and i like that about it i do again you're right probably the way the way this is going is that missy is going to be revealed as you know this is all part of a plan or she's going to backslide or something like that and and we also know from the pr that john sim is going to make an appearance so there's definitely master missy related stuff that we're going to be dealing with 
but the thing that that I I kind of like and I kind of hope they go in this direction is the master as a villain who does villainous things talk about your mustache twirling villains right mm. I think it, I think it would be really interesting and this is a direction the show the new series has gone sort of toward this in a while, for a while now with the idea that they've been that they've been friends since they were children and that that the, the master is always trying to kind of impress the doctor or get out from under the doctor's shadow I would love to see a story where what the master is not or missy is not being evil and instead as was hinted a couple weeks ago is trying to be good in a way that the doctor doesn't approve of because that's an interesting kind of nemesis right like then then it's questioning the doctor's methods is the threat rather than causing the problem well, from the, the from the previous week, if it's you know, if you can sacrifice one person to save the the entire planet, you know, Missy seems that that seems to feel that that would be you know an acceptable course of action, and right. Uh, so it could be something like that. What I suspect is that Missy will be good for some definition of good, but the John Sim Master will show up to try and either um, fix things um, or you know there'll, there'll be some sort of time travel. Um, thing going on there could uh, be, could be. I mean that that's the the two masters idea. I think the the simplest answer is that yeah, there's a uh, there's a crossover just like when multiple doctors yeah. meet. I did have the thought that I'm not entirely convinced that the John Sim appearance isn't more like inside her head, uh, sort of like no. internal conflict. I don't know. No, I mean I think they won't be able to resist having the two of them given that this is a sort of like we're crossing off you know the our to-do list of things we'd really like to do in doctor <laughs> right. who before we leave uh-huh. uh, are multiple doctors interacting with the uh, sorry multiple masters interacting with the doctor episode i think would probably be on their list somewhere and yeah. so this will be another uh checked off item but we'll, we shall see i look forward to that i look forward to that more than i looked forward to this episode even though in the end it was actually a reasonably good episode yeah I, that was where, where i was going next is just to, to wrap it up um yeah i thought it was fine like i don't know how much of that is is diminished expectations but um and there are things about it that are silly which is fine i mean i think that's that, that there's maybe my diminished expectations or understanding of what this episode's trying to do it is meant to be kind of like some big ideas and it's a fun romp and there's some humanity of uh of let's not fight that goes on here and there's a baddie who's trying to mess it up and it's just kind of an old classic doctor who feeling of uh of a little adventure for as an american i'm gonna i'm gonna try this anyway for a a a saturday tea time kind of feel (laughs) it's it felt like that that it's it's kind of slight but fun and not not bad just i I think it was i enjoyed watching it i just it's not something that's going to make me sit up and be like oh yeah that's the stuff this is why i watch this show it's more like sure that's a that's a fun thing and i I, you know i i get if mark gatiss's goal was to kind of recapture some of that feel of the of the classic doctor who um saturday afternoon evening adventure story i think he did i think i think it, it does that yeah, no, definitely. And, and, you know, it's, it's, 
it was a fairly low stakes episode and i think that's going to contrast with presumably we're going to get a a massive uh season ending um universe destroying whatever Probably. season finale because you know if this is if we're coming up to the last Stephen Moffat episode ever, much like Mark Gatiss, he's probably got his list of things that he would like to do. And yeah, I, I want to see how it plays out because I'm, I'm sort of, I, I watched this episode and I think the only thing, the, the real thing that I would have against this episode is that, you know, there's such a limited amount of Peter Capaldi left. I know. I want, I want all of it to be, you know, the sort of like, you know, will be in the top 10 best episode lists for mm. years to come. And this was, yeah, it was a good episode. And, you know, Peter Cavaldi, I, I, you know, was really good. And Bill, I have to say, I went into this season fearing that Bill wasn't going to be a good companion. And she's grown on me enormously yeah. from, from the first episode. I agree. I'm so fact, that's one of my complaints is that there's not enough Bill in this episode. Yes. Yeah. So, the, the, so in that sense, you know, the, if this was like, you know, we had like two or three seasons left of Peter Capaldi, I would say, yeah, this was a great episode, but just the fact that there's so little left and there's so little left of Bill as well from, I think she's not coming back either and everything is going to be wiped clean. Um, yeah, I, I, I wanted slightly more out of the, out of it for that reason. Yeah. Um, I agree. I, Oh, I wanted to mention something. Speaking of the doctor and Bill, I enjoy I enjoyed that they are wearing these black spacesuit thingies for the whole episode. I thought it was kind of fun to have them in something else and looking like we're the professionals here. <laughs> I, I liked, uh, yeah, I mean, I liked also their spacesuits and the contrast with the sort of steampunky Victorian ones. I thought the costume right. design on this was great. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know what? Not every episode of Doctor Who for a season should be detailed story arcs or big, you know, dark uh, things or, or, or uh, uh, showcase for Peter Capaldi's uh, monologues, right? You need some variation. And I can see thinking like Stephen Moffat as the showrunner for a moment, thinking of the sequence of episodes and what kind of content he wanted. I could see why this episode is here, because he's got the big mid-season three-parter, as it turns out. Um, and he's got the big season finale. And I really, I understand saying we need to take a breather and have that this is just a, a different kind of story and it's a much more traditional adventure standalone story. I think it's, I think it's okay to have that. I understand it. Yeah. All right. Well, onward and, and endward we go because we're getting, we're getting very close to yeah, the next end. Next week we have Romans versus a monster. Yeah, Romans versus a monster, right. And then after that, it's the two-part finale. I think that's how that works. Yeah. So, more to come uh, from Doctor but Who. Not mu- not, but no. not much more. Three more. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I want there to be like some big twist at the end of the series that Peter Capaldi isn't actually leaving <gasps> at all. Wouldn't that be great? That, that, that. I realize is, is an unlikely thing that has all been a big fake out, but that that's still, I'm clinging to that. You know, what I was thinking is that I would like maybe, and this won't happen either, but I would, I would like it. I would like the season finale to be resolved in a way that the doctor and bill are still together and traveling. 
mm-hmm. as if they were going to go on to more seasons and then have the Christmas special set much later and just leave it to us to have whatever Peter Capaldi's doctor did in between. Just leave it completely open, like not even write Bill out, just have, and the doctor and Bill traveled for a long time. We're not going to show you what happened. And I don't think they'll do that, but this is a show that could do that, that could frustrate people and leave everything just completely open-ended. It's actually one of the things I like about Doctor Who. We could have Bill step out the TARDIS with graying hair and say, all that was a fabulous 20 years of adventures that we have just had. We could. And, And yeah. I mean, so we're we're still up for a regeneration in the Christmas special, aren't we? Ah, uh, well, they're, they're, I, they've been coy about it because they they definitely said at one point that that it wouldn't necessarily be in the Christmas special because Moffat said that he didn't he wanted the the Christmas special to be positive and about redemption and not about death, which is so what happens if you do your Christmas special and have it be a regeneration. So I'm not entirely sure whether there won't be some kind of twist at the end of episode twelve. And that makes the Christmas special feel uh, feel like a very different episode. But that he, could also be Moffat lying because he does that. There was some quote from him in the last week or something that was, we're going to have a, a different kind of regeneration. Yeah, he's been saying that for a few months now. And um, and the end Doctor Who magazine, he said, I wish I read Sitting Next to You on a Plane, actually. Um, <laughs> he said it's the thing about the Christmas special not being kind of about death, but instead about being the, the about redemption. And if the last episode of this, this series is called The Doctor Falls, right? Yeah. Um, I kind of assume that the Christmas special is going to be The Doctor Rises. Yeah. And, and because he, he likes having those linked Doctor titles. And I like that idea that maybe the, all the bad stuff happens to him in, in, in episode 12. And then the Christmas special is all about his kind of final redemption and passing and deciding to live and go on after whatever terrible things happen. I'm scaring myself just saying that in <laughs> in uh, in in the season finale. But I would I've always had a problem with going so dark with the death of a doctor on Christmas Day because that seems like inappropriate uh, tonally, and yet that's when this changeover happens in the modern series. It's invariably in the Christmas special. At least David Tennant got to regenerate on New Year's Day. And yeah. so, like, but Matt Smith got to do it on Christmas Day. So I like the idea that Stephen Moffat might be kind of um, trying to make the tone different so that the death essentially happens in episode 12. And then the Christmas special is he's on his way to regeneration. And there's a story to be told about that because then it's about rebirth. And that's a that's a happier story to tell. Yeah, well, we shall see. We it's... shall. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening to this edition of the Doctor Who Flashcast. We will be back next week. And James, thank you for joining us live from Glasgow. It's a, it's a pleasure. And yeah, I will take this um, uh, Mark Gatiss episode for the rest of the team. Okay. I appreciate you doing that. Um, somebody actually says sleep no more several times in the middle of this episode. And I just thought, don't remind me. Anyway, we'll <laughs> see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Doctor Who Flashcast. Doctor Who Flash-